book of Exodus chapter number 1. The book of Exodus chapter number 1. I was trying to pray and ask the Lord what He wanted for the service this morning. And and I've had this scripture on my heart for several days. Uh, Matter of fact, I've had it on my heart uh, since uh, Friday and thought maybe if, if the Lord led that way that I might preach from this Scripture on Friday night of the meeting, then the Lord, of course, moved and worked, and there wasn't really any preaching. I thank the Lord for that. Uh, but uh, I haven't been able to get away from this, and I feel like this is what the Lord wants for the service this morning. And He knows all about it, and I appreciate Him, uh, His faithfulness and leadership and guidance uh, for the service this morning. I trust that the Lord will help us together, and uh, I'm amazed at the work of God, and uh, uh, here we are this morning, it's just mainly us, no visitors, and, and the Lord knows about that. And I feel like this is maybe some pastoral preaching that needs to be preached, and it's kind of uncommon uh, to do so on Sunday morning, but that's the will of God, I believe, this morning. So we're going to try our best, by the help of God, to deliver to you what's on our heart. Trust the Lord will help us together, encourage us and strengthen us. For these days that we're living in. Exodus chapter 1. Let's stand together if you're able. And willing to do so out of reverence and honor to the reading of the word of God. Exodus chapter 1. I want to begin reading in verse number 8. And I want to read down into the first part of chapter number 2 as well. And then try our best to give you what the Lord has given unto us today. Exodus chapter 1 and verse number 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. It came to pass that when there falleth out any war, that they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pythom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. They were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. They made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. The king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shifra, and the name of the other Pua, and he said, When you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. The king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing and have saved the men children alive? The midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. It came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. When she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. When she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes, and daubed it with slime and with pitch, (coughs) and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags... By the river's brink. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Now we know pretty much. I'm satisfied this morning. All the context of the scripture. 
that has brought us to this place that we read in Exodus chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 2. We understand that Joseph, and all the life of Joseph that's recorded for us in the book of Genesis, that Joseph has, by the sovereign plan of God, been brought into the land of Egypt. We understand that his brothers sold him into slavery. They wanted to kill him. One of the brethren said, let's not do that, but let's get rid of him another way. And so they see this band of strangers coming and they sell Joseph into their hand. Joseph finds himself in the land of Egypt, in the house of Potiphar. Of course there, uh, Potiphar makes Joseph in charge of his house. We know the story that Potiphar's wife lied on Joseph and Joseph finds himself in prison with the butler and the baker. And they both dream dreams and through the plan of God and the work of God, Joseph interprets their dreams. He tells one that he'll be restored and one his life will be taken. He tells the one when he's restored to remember him that he's down there in the prison. Of course, we know the scripture that he forgot Joseph. Till the day came that Pharaoh dreamed a dream that none of the magicians or any of the astrologers in the land of Egypt could interpret the dream. And so the man remembered his fault and said, there's a Hebrew in the prison down there and he interpreted my dream and it came to pass. And so they called for Joseph and Joseph interprets the dream of Pharaoh that there'll be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine to store up in the seven years so they'll survive in the seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of all the storehouses. Joseph is second in command in all of Egypt. And his brothers come to buy corn and Joseph reveals himself and we all know the story and he sends wagons back to Jacob to bring him into of the land of Egypt to take care of him during the time of famine and all of Joseph's brothers come and Jacob dies and then his brothers are afraid that Joseph will try to enact revenge upon them because of what they did and that's not of the will of God nor the will of Joseph and Joseph says what God you meant for evil God made it out to be good and he allowed me to spare you and all of these things and so they've all come together but now Joseph has died and all his brethren, and all that generation. And that Pharaoh is gone now. There's a new Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And the Bible says that he knows not Joseph. He doesn't understand the blessing of the people of God among the Egyptians. He doesn't understand the covenant of God with the children of Israel and how that Joseph being there and the people of God being there have really preserved the life. If it was not for Joseph, the Egyptians would be dead. But he doesn't understand that. All he understands is what he wants. He wants power and he wants popularity. He wants his name to be broadcasted and he wants control over these Israelites. So he makes them slaves. We read the scripture here and I read purposefully into chapter number 2 about the birth of Moses and all the things that are going on here. The Lord has really strongly dealt with my heart this morning to preach that Pharaoh is after your family. It's what the Lord wants me to preach on. Pharaoh is after your family. Now, in the scripture, Pharaoh is a type of Satan. Egypt's a type of the world. And Satan is after the family in our day. And here in this scripture, Pharaoh is after the families of the people of God. And that's what the devil is doing in our day. He is after families. And really, I understand that in its main context that he's after the children. And I think I'll probably say some things most definitely about that this morning. But regardless of whether children are in the picture or not, they're after he is dealing harshly with the families, the mothers and fathers, husbands and wives of the people of God. And he has a way that he's going to deal with them to try to break their spirit. That is his goal. 
to render them helpless and hopeless and useless. That is the goal of Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 1. He wants to bring them to the place where he crushes their spirit. That's what Pharaoh, Satan, is out to do to you today. And the, the, the methods, and it, it amazes me, and I know it shouldn't, but I thought, and as I read through this and reread and reread, I thought, it, these are the days that we are, li- we are living in Exodus chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 2 today. In 2023, we are living in these days. And the reason that I say that is the same methods that are being pushed on the people of God and on homes and families in our day are the same things that Pharaoh was pushing on the Israelites in Exodus chapter 1. And the first thing that Pharaoh figured out is he, if he could oppress the people, then he could deal with their spirit. If he could bring them under oppression, he could break their spirit. And we are living today in the most spiritually oppressed generation that I have ever seen. We may not be and we're not. We may not be facing the physical persecution that the early church and others throughout history have faced. We're not in that day. I'm not saying that day may not come around again. It very well may could before we get out of here. But we are dealing with great spiritual oppression in our day. And here in the scripture, Pharaoh makes a statement in verse number 10. He says, let us deal wisely with the children of Israel. That word wisely means let us deceive them. Let us deal deceitfully with them. Let's trick them. Let's fool them. And we are in a day of great deception today. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy about the last days and I know uh, that we're in a very different year especially for Sunday morning but this is where uh, my heart is for the service this morning and it is a reality uh, that we have to understand that God to help us with and understand that we are in a day that the Pharaoh of this world is after our families. And we must understand what old writer said from long, long ago to be forewarned is to be forearmed and that's most of the battle. If we understand the advances and the use of the enemy, we are better prepared for the battle that we're fighting in this day. And we're in a battle. And there's so much at stake. More than just us. Our homes, our families, our marriages, our children are at stake. And that Pharaoh is after the family. We're living in a day of great deception. Paul told Timothy that in the last days, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And we're in that day today. We're in the day where... And I'm not going to get political this morning. I don't, I, that has no place in what I'm preaching. It's not about what Washington is doing in reality. It's not about what they're doing anyway. It's the Pharaoh behind the scenes that is working through them to accomplish his purpose in the world. He is the prince and the power of the air. And he's the, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We've been so duped in our day to feel like we're fighting against Washington. We're not fighting against them. We're fighting at the powers that are at B, that are at play in Washington, principalities, of power, spiritual wickedness in high places. Those are the enemies that we're fighting against. And it's great deception. He deceived these people. He tried to oppress them. He said, let's deal wisely with them. And the reason he wanted to deal wisely with them is he didn't want them to multiply. And that means way more than just numbers. He didn't want their spirit to multiply. He didn't want them to feel stronger. It doesn't matter how many people a nation has or how many people numbers of people have. If their spirit is crushed, they will never have the spirit to rise up and overcome. And that's what Pharaoh wanted to do. He wanted to crush their spirit, oppress their spirit. And so he said, let's deal wisely with them. Lest it come to pass that there comes a war and they fall out against us. That they have enough power and they have enough drive and enough motivation to actually fight and resist against us. That was the fear of Pharaoh. Any resistance from the people of God. 
And I'm going to say this morning, I know it's not popular, but we're living in a day where there's no resistance against Pharaoh. It's like people have been so willingly deceived and the reality is we confess about the mega churches and about these preachers that are preaching a false gospel. But the reality is the Bible said that these men are deceived themselves and anybody that is deceived, the only thing they can do is deceive others. And we're living in a day of great deception and great oppression. And through this deception, the way Pharaoh said we're going to deal with them is we're going to put taskmasters over them. And this word taskmaster means more than just work. And that is part of it. They were supervisors or overseers. But they were also tribute takers. They would make the children of Israel serve and work. And they would receive some kind of, apparently, some kind of compensation. And then those same taskmasters that afflicted them with burdens would turn around and make them pay the money back to the people of Egypt. And so it was a never-ending cycle. When they were at work, they were oppressed. When they were at home, they were oppressed. When they went to bed, they went to bed oppressed. They got up in the morning oppressed and it was crushing the spirit of the people of God. He said, let's put burdens on them. Burdens they can't bear. How to keep them so bound over they can't see the light of day. They can't see a way out. And we're living in that day to day. And I can preach about a whole lot of things. But there are a whole lot of burdens that we have allowed to be put on us that we don't need to be bearing. There's a lot of pressure. And the devil knows what he's doing. He can use finances. He can use family, and I'm not preaching against your family. I'm not. I'm just preaching what the Lord is putting on my heart. But He can use finances, family members, all kinds of things to lay burdens on you that you don't need to be bearing, and it'll bring you under this spirit of oppression. We live in a world where we feel like we always have to keep up. You know that we have to maintain this image. Uh, that we have to have so much money or we have to have this kind of and I'm not preaching against stuff as long as it stays in its place that's fine and well thank God for good things just like was uh, talked about in Sunday school this morning thank God for every good gift that comes down from above but when that thing uh, becomes all of what you're doing is to have this or have it becomes a burden of oppression unto you when you're more interested in that and having those things of it being useful in the service of God, it has become an oppressor unto you. And he used oppression. But he didn't just use oppression, he used depression. And you're looking at a preacher that's going to stand before you this morning and say to you that depression is a real thing. And I understand that the medical community have took it and run way out and let field, but the spirit of de- to be spiritually depressed is a real thing. And Pharaoh said, let's afflict them. In verse number 11, he set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. He used this burden, this weight, this oppression. He used it to depress them. The word afflict means to browbeat, to depress, to abuse, to harass. The the taskmasters abused them and, and depressed their spirit. That's what the Pharaoh was doing. And he said, we're going to make them. And I want you to pay a very close attention to the word that's used in verse 13 and 14. He said, we're going to make them serve with rigor. The word rigor literally means to break apart or to crush the spirit. Pharaoh said, as much as they can stand and more. You put on it and you break their spirit. Have them live every day in oppression and depression and we'll deal with them the right way. We can handle them. And I'm telling you, we're living in a day where so many of the people of God live in oppression and depression every day that we are no threat to Pharaoh. That's what Pharaoh was saying. If we can keep the children of Israel, the people of God, in this place, they are no threat to us. And that's where we are today. And through all of this, you can imagine, all of this oppression and all of this depression, the Bible said He made their lives bitter. So not only are they oppressed and depressed, they're bitter about what they're going through. 
And you can imagine. I mean, can you imagine getting up every morning knowing that you were going to go to work for somebody uh, that's going to push you beyond your body's ability, uh, that doesn't care anything about you, that you're nothing more uh, than property or less to them, and then what money you do earn, they're going to take it away, and you're going to repeat this cycle over and over and over again. Every child that's born is going to enter. There's no hope for your children uh, because they're entering into this cycle. And I'm telling you, it's a dangerous place we're in today for the people of God to be sold this lie that there's no hope for our families that there's no hope for our children it just has it doesn't have to be this way there's hope and help for us in these days and the Bible said that the more the more that they afflicted them the more they oppressed them the more they abused them the more they multiplied and they grew And that's the way it always is with the people of God. It's the way it was in the New Testament in the book of Acts. God used the persecution of the church to spread the gospel around the whole world. He drove them out from Jerusalem and sent them to other places as they preached the gospel because of the persecution. That's how it is. We endure things. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The problem is when we lose sight of God's purpose in the persecution. We feel like God's abandoned us and God's forsaken us. And that's where the people of God are going to be when we find them again. They're going to be the place they feel like God's forsaken them and abandoned them in the land of Egypt. Now, they don't belong there. They are not Egyptians, but they are having to live there for a time until the Lord comes and brings them out. And that's what you and I are doing. We're not in, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We have been called out from it, but we have to live here among this world for a period of time until there's a deliverance from this world. And there's some things we're going to have to deal with. And the Lord really got strong in my heart, and I'm going to give you this and then a few things on it, and then I'll be done this morning. As they began to multiply and as they began to grow, It was not just, we don't just see oppression and depression, but it almost appears to me that, now I'm preaching about Pharaoh now, and him being a type of the devil, a type of Satan, a type of the power that's at work in this world, that it almost is like he was obsessed, had an obsession with their children. That's all he could think about was their children and what to do with their children. And so this is what he said. He said there's some that we're going to kill and the ones we don't kill, we're going to control. He said we're going to kill all the boy babies because they'll rise up and make warriors and leaders and fighters. And he said we're going to save the little girls and we'll learn to control them and put leaders over them and master them and break their will and break their power, break their personality. We're going to kill some and control. He was obsessed with their children. I'm telling you in these days it don't take a rocket scientist to look around in our day and figure out that Pharaoh in our world in our day is obsessed with our children that's the target audience if it, I've always heard it and it needs to be it's worth repeating if he can't get you he'll get your husband or your wife and if he can't get them he'll go after your children he's obsessed with the children He knows he can control the next generation if he gets the children. And that's what Pharaoh knew. He was setting himself up for the next generation when there would not be enough men to stand and rise against him, when there would not be a force of resistance. But everyone would willingly give in and be tolerant and accept the agenda that he was pushing. And that's where we are today. And I... I really, I don't know if you want, I don't know if the word argues the right word to use, but I really question about whether or not to preach this this morning. I thought, Lord, it's Sunday morning. I don't know why you want this, but I'm telling you, Pharaoh of our day is after our family. And really, in reality, he's after our children. Now there's a target on your back and mine just like everybody else, but the reality is it's almost like there's an obsession with children in our day. And Pharaoh of our day is pushing all this stuff geared toward our children. Why is that? Because he wants them. 
He'll take some, and if he can't control them, he'll kill them. I mean, the reality is, that's what Pharaoh was doing in Exodus chapter 1, and that's what's going on in 2023 in the United States of America. And in our church world. Not even necessarily just in the world. The reality is here, the context of the Scripture is speaking of the people of God. And that's what I'm preaching to this morning. The people of God, Pharaoh, the devil, the ruler of this world is after our children. And I mean, I'm really burdened this morning for the young people. Burdened for our children. And I've said it so many times and I feel like I need to say it all over again that God has really blessed us at this church and the number of people that we have. And I'm not citing the number of our congregation. Thank God for it. But in proportion to how many people we come, how many children we have in attendance and more on the way, God's been good to us. But with that great blessing comes great responsibility in reality that the devil, Pharaoh, is after our children. And it looks like there's no hope. I mean, for a minute it looks like things are good. Pharaoh calls these two midwives in and they're Hebrews. And he says, I want you to, when you go in and these Hebrew women give birth, they said, if it's a boy, if it's a man child, you kill it and you save all the girls alive. And the Bible said they feared God and they wouldn't do what the king said. Thank God in this day for some mamas and daddies, grandma, and see it's not just about, and I know the main responsibility lies upon the parents, but here are two women who had an effect and an impact and an influence upon these children and they were not their parents, but thank God they feared God and it made a difference in the young people's lives in the land of Egypt. And so I'm preaching to all of us this morning whether you hold children in your hands this morning or not, whether your children are already grown and left the house, whether you have grandchildren or whether you don't, whether you have any children at all or whether you don't, the reality is God's put us in this place together to have an impact on the children. And they said, we're not going to do what you ask us to do. And the Bible said, so Pharaoh went around them and he spoke to all the people of Egypt, to all Egypt's the top of the world. All the citizens of Egypt. And he said, if you see a Hebrew boy, a baby, a Hebrew male child, you cast it in the river. And he said, if it's a girl, you leave it alone. It'll be okay. We're going to deal with them. And I'm telling you, we're living in a dangerous, dangerous day for our young people. I understand that the devil's always been at work, but I can't help but believe that as we near the end of time and the last of the last days are here, there's a, an influence and an impact and an influx of iniquity being pressed upon our children like never before. I'm 33 years old, and I have not—I did not see the things. It's not been that long ago that I was a child, and I did not see the things that are being seen all around us today. But we read the story, and this is really where my heart is, and I'll be done. We read the story in chapter number 2 of a man and a woman. We're not told their names here. We learn their names later on in the book of Exodus chapter 9. I think it is Amram and Jochebed, who are Hebrews of the tribe of Levi. And they marry each other and Jochebed in this time. Now, we know they have two other children. It appears like, if we read the Scripture, that Miriam is the oldest and then Aaron, they're already born and it happens, uh, their births happen before this great, either before this Pharaoh comes to power or before this decree gets made. Uh, But during this time when Pharaoh is so obsessed with the children and against these boy babies, uh, they have come together and the Bible said there's a child conceived and born and it's a boy, a male son, a Hebrew boy and they know what the decree is. They know that Pharaoh's after him. And the Bible said when she saw the woman conceived and bare a son. I just want to give you three things that the Lord really dealt strong with me about and I'm done. The woman conceived and bare a son when she saw him that he was a goodly child. The word goodly means having high value. And I'm going to tell you what we need in this day among the people of God is we need to perceive the value of our children. 
I'm not saying you don't love your children. I'm not saying you don't want the best for your... But we have to understand what a valuable... The Bible said in Psalm 127 and verse number 3, I think it is children are a heritage. They are a portion given to us, an inheritance given to us, valuable from the Lord. We need some of God's people... Now, now this text deals with the people of God. We're not preaching the world about them that you can't perceive what a blessing comes from God unless you have a relationship with God. And this woman, she's a Hebrew. Her husband's a Hebrew. They have a man child and they perceive, they see, they come to the realization how blessed they are to have this boy. And they know what's going on in their day. And so knowing what's going on in their day, they begin to try to figure out what they're going to do to protect this child. And I'm going to tell you, in our day, we need some mamas and daddies who will protect their children. The Bible said she hid him three months. The word hide here means to lay up treasure. It means to deny to be taken. She told her husband that they talked together, no doubt, and they made a covenant that whatever it took, they would not allow Pharaoh to have their boy. Whatever that meant. Whatever price that was. If it took, now this is not in there, but I think we can read between the lines of the Scripture and not do any discredit or disrespect of the Scriptures. I think they vowed their lives. If we have to die to ensure that Pharaoh doesn't get a hold of him, that's what we're going to do. I mean, they're going against the greatest power on earth that there was in their day. Pharaoh was looked at as a god himself. And they said, we'll not obey Pharaoh's command. We're living in Egypt, but we're not of Egypt. Pharaoh's not our God. He's not the one to rule over us. And we have said, by the grace of God and the help of God and and what they did this day, we find out in Hebrews chapter 11, they did what they did by faith. The Bible said by faith when Moses was born, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, I think it is, by faith when Moses was born because they saw he was a goodly child, he was hid of his parents three months. They did it by faith. They believed that somehow or another they knew the God of Genesis chapter 50 where, where jo- Joseph said that God is going to visit you and bring you out of this land. They held to that covenant. They held to that promise. They knew this God and they coveted by faith to do everything they could to protect their son. We're in the day when our children, they've always needed it, but we're in the day when our children need protection. And protection for your children is not, and I want you to hear me, the Lord really spoke to my heart about this and I'll be done. Protection for your children is not necessarily uprooting where you are and trying to find, run somewhere else and put down new roots and stuff. This influence, this power that we're dealing with, this Pharaoh, he's everywhere. You can pick up roots here and go somewhere else and it may be good for a while, but before long you'll find out that the same power that's at work here is at work everywhere else. I'm not trying to give him any credit, but his power is far reaching. I'm not saying that he's like God. He's not. He has none of the characteristics of God, but he is, his power is far reaching in our day. And so they said we're going to protect him. So what does protecting, what does that mean for your children? What does it mean to protect your children? And I understand that there are some things that we need to protect our children from, some things we ought not to allow to come into our homes and our conversation, in our families, around our children. I understand all of that. And we better use some common sense in our day about where we take our children and allow our children to be subject to There are things, there are powers at work that will influence them and you'll think that they're not paying any attention or it's not affecting them and it will affect them and influence them more than you can understand. But to protect our children, scripturally speaking, and looking at this text, means that we have to make some preparation for our children's future. Now that don't mean... 
to buy up land and buy houses and buy cars. That's not I'm not talking about. I'm talking about their spiritual future. There's some preparation that has to be made. Because here's the thing that none of us, I mean, I'm a parent preaching to parents. Here's the thing that none of us like to think about. The Bible said she saw he was a goodly child and she hid him three months. But the next part of the verse says when she could no longer hide him. There came a time that she had to, in a sense, let him go and trust the God that she had put her faith in for three months could now take care of him. The God that kept him hid for three months could now take care of him when she could no longer hide him. When it came to the place that her and Amram could do no more than what they had already done, they put their faith in the God that had prepared them to prepare for their son to trust him that he would take care of Moses. And here's what the Bible said. When she could not longer hide him, she took for him or made for him or prepared for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. So she built some things for the future of her son. It's not that she built a great fortune. It's not, and all those things are fine in their place. I'm not saying we, we as parents should be conscious about if time lasts, what I, I mean, it, the, the, things are getting terrible. I couldn't imagine starting out right now, and I want to do everything I can that God allows me to do to try to take care for the future for my girls. I'm not talking about that, but these are, these things are way more important than the financial and the physical preparations. She prepared, she took for him, she built for him some things to take care of him in the spiritual things. And I wonder in these days what we're building for our children. What we're preparing for them. This ark of bulrushes. They tell me that it would have been and she, it talks about the flags. It would have been from the reeds that grow in the river. And they would cut them down and weave them together. And they would, they would smear that. It talked about that she daubed it. Very much the type and picture of the ark of Noah when he pitched it within and without. It was to seal out the water and protect the child. To seal out the outside and seal in what God had given. And that's what we need to be building for in these days. Here's the thing that I, I read the scripture and read the scripture and read the scripture and it never, it never had dawned on me what was being done, how much confidence, how much fa- it really is in Hebrews 11, it really is an act of faith that Amram and Jochebed are doing for their son with faith in God. Because here's what the Bible said Pharaoh said, When you see a boy baby, I want you to throw that boy in the river. And the Bible said she took this ark and she daubed it and prepared it for Moses and put Moses in the ark and then she laid him in the river. The very place where Pharaoh was at work was where she laid her son Trusting that God would take care of him through it all. Now we can paint all kinds of pictures that will pull on emotions. and I'm not interested in all that this morning. There's no context in the Scripture despite what... And I'm not knocking any other preachers. There's no context in the Scripture to give the impression that she sent Moses floating down the river. That's not... The Bible said she laid him in the flags by the river's brink. But it was in the place, that place where Pharaoh was working. She understood that there was no way to, to take Moses anywhere else. She just had to put her trust in God to take care of Moses in the middle of it all. And she takes this little boy and she puts him at three months old. She lays him in this ark and she puts him in the river.
And the Bible said that Pharaoh's daughter came and she saw the ark. Now that's a miracle in itself. A miracle in itself. I don't know many three-month-olds that their mother lay them down somewhere and they don't make a sound. But the Bible does not say that she heard him cry. The Bible said she saw the ark. And she sent one of her maids to fetch it and they brought it and when they uncovered it, then the child began to cry. And she said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. She knew immediately that there was something different about this boy. And it's amazing that she does not, even though her father has said for him to be cast in the river, She doesn't carry out the plan of her father. She calls. The Bible said that Miriam has stood afar off and watched what will be done with her brother. And when she sees the affection apparently in the eyes of Pharaoh's daughter, she comes running and says, Would you like for me to call a nurse from the Hebrews to tend for the child? And she says, Yes. And of course, the providence of God, Miriam ran and told her mother and brought her mother and Moses' own mother raised him until he was weaned. But the reality is, and I don't know if it's meant anything or spoke anything to anybody's heart this morning. I know it's been a real different gear and different message and different atmosphere this morning. But I'm telling you, the reality is that Pharaoh is after our families. And we can't put more emphasis on anything else but spiritual preparation for our children in these days. It doesn't matter. Don't let the oppression of the world tell you that physical, temperamental, uh, temporary things mean more than spiritual things. Don't get caught up in making more financial, physical, temporal preparation than you do spiritual preparation. Because there will always be time for financial things. There will always be time for temporary things. But there's going to come a day like it was for Amram and Jochebed that you're going to have to let go and trust that God and the provision that you and God have made together for your children will keep them in this world we're living in. They're going to have to be some preparation made. They're going to have to be some prayers prayed over them little boys and little girls. And here we are this morning, and we don't have no little boys in this church, but we got a bunch of little girls. And I'm telling you that if He won't kill them, I don't mean that necessarily literally, but I'm using the Scripture, the context of the Scripture. It's His will to either destroy them or control them, one of the two. And the Lord's give us a bunch of possibilities. We have no idea. All Amram and Jochebed knew is that Moses was precious. That he was a gift from God. And because of that gift that God had entrusted them with, they did everything they could to protect him and prepare for him. There's nothing in the Scripture to tell us or even hint to us that there was any inkling of an inclination in the mind of Amram and Jochebed when she laid him in the river. That 80 years later, he'd be leading the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. There's no inkling of an idea in their mind at all. They just knew what God had given them and how precious it was. And we all have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility. I understand that it lies first and foremost on the parents to whom God has given the precious things. But we all have a responsibility. I wonder, and I'm not trying to add to the Scripture but I wonder if some of the other Hebrew women and men maybe aided Amram and Jochebed in moving Moses. Maybe God put in their heart to help 
protect him. And it's not, we, we can't go around in this thing acting like we got it all covered. We don't need, we need one another. God's put us together with one another to aid one another and help one another and lift this spirit of depression and oppression and make preparation and protection for the children to come. We all have a responsibility. Every one of us. Every one of us. And I know this morning that we're a, we're a close-knit church. I know that and I thank God for it. I mean, it's just us this morning. I really feel like God knew. I know He did. I know He knew that. And I knew He, I believe He ordained this time and this space and, and put this in my heart. And I know I've not done very good at trying to deliver to you what's on my heart. But I'm trying by the help of God to convey to you the truth of the Word of God that there's preparation and protection we all need to be making for the children. All of us. Regardless of our position, our function in the church, there's preparation that has to be made by all of us. By all of us. It doesn't matter this morning. God help us, and I don't know why the Lord's really, I mean, pushing in my heart this morning. God help us, and I don't believe there's any of this here, but God help us not to feel like our kids are the only one or that they're not ours and so what's our why should we do we, we all have a responsibility we all have a responsibility and the spiritual responsibility is the greatest responsibility that any of us have this morning the greatest responsibility I thought about this morning and I'm just I'm trying to quit and I'm trying to Follow what the Lord's bringing to my heart. This morning I come out from the back and standing back there putting a microphone on. And I heard Isla up here. She said, Preacher. Preacher. And I'm going to tell you something that does something in my heart. Not, not because that I'm the preacher or because... That has nothing to do with it. But it does something to me to know the responsibility that I have to these little ones. Not just mine. I got four, and I feel a great weight and a great responsibility. And some of them are, are coming on up in years. Like my oldest is going to be a teen. And I mean, it's in one way, if I'm to be honest with you this morning, it scares me to death. But I got confidence in somebody greater than I am. And I heard Brother Jeremy Oakley, and it was mentioned. Reference this week in the meeting at Coles Cove, Brother Bright testified. I heard Brother Jeremy Oakley preach a message in Chattanooga, Tennessee, at Brother Ronnie Jones Church about Absalom stealing the hearts. And he said, "I, he said, I want my girl's heart." And he said, "The only person I want for for to take their heart from me is Jesus. I want to give them to give the Lord their heart." And that's right. There's, I, I, I'm afraid of all the things, but I'm glad I know somebody who's greater than I am and can go with them. Well, I can't go and you can't go. And it's a great responsibility. A great responsibility. I thought about that little blonde-headed girl sitting right back there. Just a few pews back. She's my niece. And I never knew being an uncle could be so good. And I love her and she lights up the room. And I mean, there's just a special relationship there. But I'm going to tell you something. And, and by blood, by marriage, by kinship, I'm her uncle. But i got a greater responsibility than just being her uncle. I'm her preacher. And just because I'm uncle doesn't make me any more or any less of her preacher. I'm her preacher. And I'm... All of y'all's preacher and your kids and your grandkids and some of you, your children don't go here or your grandchildren don't go here but some of them visit from time to time and I have a responsibility when they walk through that door to do my best and it ain't about me but for, to be in a place where God can prepare me. It might just be that they've come for one service but they need some preparation for the days to come. I had no idea walking in, and I, 
I don't know why the Lord wants me to say this, but I really, I mean, I try not to say anything He don't want me to. I had no idea walking into the church service Thursday night that there's going to be a red-headed young lady sitting on the left almost all the way to the back that need to be born again. The Lord had burdened my heart so strongly to preach that night, and He told me, He told me I was preaching to sinners. And you can believe that or not. You can take that and, and uh, agree with it. Believe it. it doesn't matter. I know what the Lord said. And I said that night, you may be here and be a church member or have attended church. And I felt so strongly impressed out of all the things I said to say that. She'd come out of her pew and got saved. I'm not the pastor there. Really, in reality, I preach two services in a week. That's all. But the Lord, and it ain't about me, it's about Him. The Lord saw fit to put something in my heart to give some preparation for the days to come. And the Lord let me think this morning. I mean, that young lady and that young boy sits on the front row, sit beside me most all week. Big old tall fella. They just got married not too long ago. And I don't know what's in the future. Maybe some children, but I guarantee you what happened to her on that Thursday night will forever change the children that are born, if they are, into that family. Preparation. And see, we like to, and I don't mean this bad, but we like to lay it all on the... It's not all on me. If we come together and someone comes in our midst and God puts something on your heart and you know that it's of God and you hold back, you're not giving out your pepper. There may be somebody that needs to hear what God's put on your heart. It ain't just about here either. It's about at home. Do our children hear us pray? Do our grandchildren hear us pray? Do we talk to them about the Lord? Do we show them? Not just words we say, but do we show them? What are we building for them? What are we preparing for them? Are we demonstrating to them that God is real and this walk with God is real and there's nothing any better than being in the family of God? Are we showing to them that church can be taken or left? That if it's convenient, we go. If we've had a bad day, we don't go. And I'm not getting on anybody, but I'm telling you, we're living in the days that we better prioritize spiritual preparation. Because Pharaoh's after the family. That's what the Lord told me to preach this morning, that Pharaoh's after your family, after our families. We better prepare and protect we better be building an ark. And I'm not talking about saving your, you understand all that, but the Bible said by faith, Noah moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his household. And that's every parent's responsibility is to build an ark for the future for our children. I'm not talking about that you can get them saved. That's not the context, but there are some things, there's an atmosphere that you can create that when God works in their heart, that it's easy for Him to deal with them and easy for them to yield to Him because they know, they've seen it, they've been prepared, they've been protected. There's a Pharaoh at work today and he's after our families. God help us this morning to prepare. As we stand all over the house, I'm done this morning. I